Welcome to the Feminist Book Chat podcast. I'm your host, Lou, founder of the FBC Paris Book Club, a community of readers that focuses on intersectional feminism. We first met as a group in September 2018 at Shakespeare and Company Bookshop. Since March 2020, we have been meeting online and welcoming authors to some of our book club sessions. To see what we get up to as a community, you can follow us on Instagram at the FBC Paris and Substack. My first guest of season four is Sylvia Whitman, owner of Shakespeare and Company Bookshop. In 2004, Sylvia took over the running of the bookshop from her father, George Whitman, at just 23 years old. She now runs it with her partner, David, and has started a literary festival, a writing competition, and even opened a cafe next door. James Baldwin called Shakespeare and Company the old curiosity shop, while Anais Nin described it as a house of gentle warmth with walls of books and tea ceremonies. I certainly picked up on both of these vibes when I sat down with Sylvia in the library a few months back. We had a lovely long conversation, which needed to be edited down (laughs) quite significantly, but we got to speak about the rich history of the bookshop, the friendship between George and the poet Lawrence Ferlinghetti, navigating the bookshop through a bull pandemic, and looking to Sylvia Beach for inspiration. For those who don't know, Sylvia Beach is the owner of the original Shakespeare and Company bookshop. Oh, and of course... There's book recommendations aplenty. Grab a cup of tea, settle down, and enjoy. Welcome to the FBC Paris podcast. Thanks for inviting me. We are absolutely honoured and, you know, it's particularly special to be recording this because we're in the same room Mm -hmm. and that room happens to be the library, which is where the FBC Paris used to meet, you know, once a month up until March of last year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start, yeah, I'm going to start with kind of a big question, but let's start here. You know, how are you? How, How is the bookshop? Well, that's funny you say, how are you and how's the bookshop? Because I do feel totally intertwined with the bookshop. So when yeah. the bookshop is not doing very well, I don't feel very well. Yeah. Um, but I'm feeling much more optimistic and positive since the new year. The new year, January 1st is my favorite day of the year. I just love this idea of a day of reflection on the past year um, and what's to come and the sense of optimism and sort of where can we go, what can we do, there are so many possibilities. This year I felt it more than ever, like so many people. We have sort of adapted to this weird situation and although I don't want it to become normal or to last much longer, there was a sense of okay we've just got to look forward. I I love you know what you said about you know the first of January is is like one of your favorite days and there's a lot of like hope that you're taking into the year with you and it feels like there is an overarching sense of of, of hope going back to the back end of last year when you uh, when Shakespeare put out a plea for for support because I believe sales were down by a whopping 80 percent which is huge 
you know and and, and i'm also just going to add um for anyone who may not know in france it was just recently announced that bookshops are considered an essential business <laughs> it took them a year but we'll take it how, how was it to ask for help i mean do you think people were a bit surprised do you think people because of the status that Shakespeare has and because it is really like I mean it's iconic you know how was that I you know how was that how was the reaction well for me I really dragged my feet in asking for help because it's I I find that personally a really difficult thing to do I much prefer helping people and I actually have been really fortunate with the bookshop be the person inviting people to come and stay um you know inviting people for dinner in the bookshop introducing people to other people Uh, that's a position I'm really comfortable with Mm. but um this one of not of asking for help was harder but I realize it's not you know it's so much bigger than me and Mm. it's um and that people have a really powerful relationship with the place that's very personal for them and it's very different for each person and that 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 you know that connection is really important so and also it got to a moment where we really we had gone it would had been nine months I think so we we had really struggled for nine months and it was becoming like you tried everything you know we, kind we, of thing exactly and of course there's the various support in in France yes. um, but we were not being considered we uh, a, a bookshop is considered a retail space so whereas um, culture anything in culture uh, or tourism we're getting much better protection mm. um, we were not considered in either one of these boxes so. So that made life difficult. Um, it was overwhelming, <laughs> the response. I mean, it was hugely heartening and as mm. something, you know, I think a lot of people have felt a lot of loneliness in the last year. And yeah. I certainly, that completely washed that away <laughs> for oh, me. that's lovely. That in November, yeah. I, you know, I realized actually I had felt lonely uh, because okay. the bookshop was it has is always such a social place. It's and such a hub. I mean, and everything just stopped. Everything just stopped. And that first lockdown, I would spend. You know, I'd come every day, and it was cold. Yeah. It was dark. I realized the bookshop was never cold. It was cold. <laughs> it was dark, and it was. It really felt just so sad. And yeah, for imagine. a place that is really never closed as in you know we have people sleeping here There's yes not a moment that the bookshop was sort of asleep and this was like a real coma so that it washed away that loneliness and it made it made us really feel feel supported and that was incredible yeah. but also talking about the silver linings that was really we were having a kind of real wave of love from people internationally mm. um but actually something that we uh, have really enjoyed since the opening up after the first lockdown is being in contact with French customers and with our mm. local customers which which they there are and the, uh, at the weekend we're really busy they are here it's just that the, it's just that we're a bookshop that has a huge team that has many many projects yeah. and that you know allowed ourselves to expand in order to sort of deal with the numbers and the, and the yeah. projects but then left us in quite a vulnerable mm. position when suddenly you know the situation changed but the 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 local customers and the french customers were here and that was that really was the silver lining so Mm. we felt that kind of love from internationally uh, that we hadn't had in november um but as a kind of constant we did have this really enlightening period Mm -hmm. that's still continuing and we're really 
giggling to ourselves because some reason we've become really popular with French teenagers. Oh, um, wow. And that's really, <laughs> I love it because yeah. it's, it's quite new for us. And I don't know whether it's because um, bookshops are one of the only places you can hang out now. I mean, yeah. cafes are closed. Right. So here we are sitting on, on the first floor. Yeah. At the weekend, there's loads of young yeah. people sitting, re- playing the piano or chatting or meeting people. And it, that feels really good. Yeah. It also is really nice to feel kind of wanted in your city. And it also is, uh, yeah, it's enriching getting a different perspective, having this seeing the different trends that are coming from having more French readers. Um, Absolutely. Like it's, you know, there'll always be kind of universal, like a universal love, but in terms of tastes and, you know, like you were saying, I mean, I'm, I, I have the impression that, you know, you always have your finger on the pulse of, you know, what is going on in the bookshop. And you talked about like noticing that the, the book last year was, you know, everyone was buying it so I imagine how that's been really lovely to connect mm-hmm. with um I don't want to say a new audience because I imagine that you've always had French customers but I do know that they were hidden they were <laughs> hidden I think <laughs> in amongst you know all, all the, the the crowds um, but you, you'll know this I think Par- you know Paris is really for the Parisians at the moment and so people yeah. are also because they can't travel elsewhere they're really traveling within their city they're enjoying their city and I feel like that is happening in you know across the world and again you know silver linings you know we take them where we can get them (laughs) and but but I know as well that kind of having spoken to like French you know girlfriends about the bookshop they'd just be like oh but like they sell can I go in there like you know there's, there's kind of like either a slight intimidation or it's like oh doesn't that just feel passport, like Americans and passport you passport check at the entrance <laughs> exactly exactly you've got to have a visa you're gonna get stamped um so yeah I can I can really imagine how finding and kind of like a new readership um or getting to spend more time with them has been absolutely delightful um and I believe that you've also, just in terms of like ha- if, for people listening, you know, if, if they're not kind of uh, Paris based, um, you've also just in terms of how people can support the book club, um, sorry, the book club, the bookshop, <laughs> sorry, I'm not here with my own agenda, <laughs> um, the, the, the bookshop. Um, I believe there are various uh, book box subscriptions and also you've um, set up Friends of Shakespeare. Maybe you could just say a little bit about that so people, if they don't already know about it. Well, this is going back to our appeal in November when I realised, you know, people have their very um, personal connection to the bookshop and sort of just move out the way and let them have that connection. (laughs) Um, A lot of people are saying, look, great, I'll buy a book from your website, but honestly, your website keeps crashing. Um, and I don't actually really want to buy a book. I just want to support. So how can I donate? Right. And that was, so we had to sort of overnight set up an association that, in fact, we'd been, want, again, silver lining these th- moments mm-hmm. where you, you sort of are forced to do something that you've been wanting to do for a while. We've yeah. been wanting to do this for a long time because the, the bookshop is, whenever I'd go to the accountant and say, Oh no, but I had to buy a new mattress for the tumbleweeds. He's like, I can't put that under the bookshop <laughs> accounts. Yes, but you, ha- you have to because, you know, it's part of the bookshop. And yeah. without the tumbleweeds, it's not the bookshop. And we'd have this sort of debate of what is the bookshop every time. And he'd kind of ha- 
sigh and you know even di- taking authors out for dinner was not really appropriate so oh. we've sort of been able to separate the events all of our events are for free so that yeah. is it's very much more association part of the bookshop the library uh, is non-commercial so that's really good but it also meant that people who wanted to support could support that side of the bookshop which frankly without that side of the bookshop I th- I, I really question whether we'd still be Shakespeare and Company so the yeah. that identity is really enmeshed in in what the, what the bookshop is um, so that's been amazing because that's sort of taken a little bit of a, a weight off the bookshelf bookshop itself um, and of course, inspiration came from Sylvia Beach. She's my, you know, <laughs> my beacon of light that I will look to um, daily, but yeah. particularly in dark times. And she set up with the, at the encouragement of her many French uh, literary friends like Andre Gide. Mm. She set up friends of Shakespeare and Company yeah. um, during the the Great Depression in okay. um, in the thirties, and people like Hemingway. Uh, accepted to do an event even though he was very shy of public readings Mm. Gertrude Stein wrote a a rather dubious poem for (laughs) members um so anyway it was the inspiration came from her and it it just it fit it fitted perfectly because that's what people were asking for and so the first installment is coming out soon and I'm very excited about it but I can't tell you the details because I I think we're telling people tomorrow but that that's absolutely coming fine. soon <laughs> we will be able to share in the show notes exactly and that's it's a as a thank you to yeah. the members we're just we're doing a kind of exclusive um uh for literary kind of little projects that we're sharing with amazing. people online yeah amazing congratulations you know on on being so incredibly flexible of you know doing things overnight and of kind of navigating um the bookshop through this particular storm it does feel though like that is a link that connects all kind of three if we think of Sylvia's first Sylvia Beach's first bookshop there's a wonderful anecdote um about how she closed the bookshop because that was also an overnight thing yeah Yeah, and very (laughs) cinematic yeah Sylvia Beach she just what an incredible woman Mm. self-educated um and it it start the story. Our story here starts with Sylvia Beach, but actually it goes further. It st- starts with Adri- Adrienne Monnier, who had a bookshop opposite mm. Sylvia Beach's, and who is often she's <laughs> often forgotten. And her bookshop was called Les Amis de La Maison des Amis des Livres, mm-hmm. and she was the one that encouraged Sylvia Beach to open her bookshop um, on Rue de l'Odéon. And they had this just this incredible situation of these two bookshops opposite each other. Um, mm. And I have this quote up there by André Chanson, who said that Beach did more to link England, the United States, Ireland and France and four great ambassadors. And she was like this sort of bee, you know, um, mixing the pollen. And and that's I think of that image when I think of Adrienne and opposite Sylvia and writers just sort of being ping ponged between the two and this sort of really wonderful... um, uh, bridge between these two cultures and I've and that has been something that has been very much at the forefront in the last six months having more French customers um it's meant that we started stocking more books in French actually and you want to keep that going you want to strengthen that that bond and I actually realize I really really love being on that bridge 
between the two and oh, that's what makes yes. that's what makes this place unique you know and that, that every independent bookshop and that's why I just you know I think I, I celebrate independent bookshops and want as many as possible because yeah. each one has its own history yes. its own curation its own character its yeah. own story and you know let's have as many as possible the more but the merrier the when more it the comes better. to exactly. indie bookshops yeah and so and but i realize that that is something that is very particular to here is that yeah. we have one foot in each um and 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 to do this kind of i like we uh, we're doing more we before the before covid we started doing more events uh with french authors translated so i've got leila slimani did yes. an event here and um, and I'm hoping as soon as possible to do an event with this wonderful author, Yakuta Alikovic. Um, and it's, it's just been published. It's getting a lot of excitement. Um, it's the first book to be published in English by Faber. Um, okay. it's in French, it's called L'Avancée de la Nuit. De la nuit. Uh, anyway, so going back to Sylvia Beach, yeah. that's something that has been very much at the surface mm. is thinking of her and this work mm. be going this sort of go between between the two um and yeah she had to close in 1941 a very cinematic ending where (laughs) a nazi officer walked by her bookshop saw a copy of finnegan's wake by james joyce entered the bookshop asked to buy it she said it's not for sale he said i'm coming back tomorrow and if you don't sell it to me i'll close you down and so she closed herself down that night she called her friends and they moved all the books to an upstairs apartment they painted over the front sign and he returned the next day looking for you know scratching his head thinking he must have gone mad because yeah. he could not Did find I imagine it <laughs> yeah yeah I and mean, she never reopened although she stayed in paris until her death what an act of resistance you know i just yeah. love that and that as well is for me i i believe during the election for me that's also you know, this version of, of Shakespeare, there really is, you know, that link through through time. Because I believe during the most recent US election, there were kind of like Americans abroad were outside and... Um, and now we're taking got, off. Not as not as nice <laughs> as the background noise as a piano. We just got some some works going on in the seventeenth you know. century building. We've got to keep it standing. Bear with us. <laughs> um, um, the Americans, uh, yeah, like are voting and oh, yeah. organizing and yeah. finding a way yeah. to come together. I just love that, and you know, being able to call on people and knowing that people will answer. Mm. Um, I, I I just. Yeah, that was I wonderful that. having it's them so here and, and, and sharing that information about how the urgency to vote, but also how you can vote and the practicalities yeah, of it. Exactly. Yeah. No, because brilliant. again, with certain people maybe not being able to get out or, you know, just so many circumstances. Yeah. Um, just wonderful. So thank you for that anecdote about um, Sylvia Beach. And I also really love that kind of call and response between her and Adrienne, mm. because when George first um, came to Paris, I believe that one of the first people that he ever met was Lawrence. Yeah, Ferlinghetti. Ferlinghetti, sorry, mm. um, who we very recently lost. Yeah. Um, a, a wonderful man, wonderful poet, and it was actually George and Shakespeare and Company who inspired City Books. Yes, in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah they met. Wonderful place. They met in a hotel room, Hotel Suez, on the Boulevard Saint Michel. Mm. 
Um, and they were both here as GIs. So oh. the American GIs actually had a really good month monthly uh, staple income. Okay. That meant that they, at that time, in the late 40s in Paris, they... they could afford to be here mm. and to study and to live and George being George had this hotel room that he very quickly <laughs> filled with books and of course very quickly lost the key and very quickly just had the door open all the time and right. it became a sort of informal bookshop lending <laughs> library and people just hang out it was a pre-Shakespeare and company exactly. basically yeah <laughs> And Lawrence took one look at it and one look at him and said, <laughs> you should really just open a bookshop here. <laughs> and so George, just, he had had a bookshop in Boston before, but he he then decided, yeah, okay, yeah. why not? I will go and look for it. a space. He did it. Yeah, and they kept in close contact. And later in, two years later, two years after the opening of this bookshop, Lawrence opened City Lights in... Um, in San Francisco, and they had this idea originally that they would swap bookshops once a year. Whoa! So that you know, because Lawrence had was very Euro- European, Pe- and yes. he, you know, he, uh, I think between the age of two and four, he lived in in France. Okay, he spoke French, and and uh, so the idea was Lawrence would come and run Shakespeare and Company for one year, while George do vice versa, in City Lights, and Lawrence really quickly decided that this was not going to be possible seeing how George ran the place and having people sleeping all over the bookshop (laughs) and the accounts were all upside down and a cigar but he just thought they they, you know they they shared a lot but Lawrence often said that George was the most bohemian most eccentric person he ever met which I find which for me it's a great solace to me hearing this because explains so much coming from Lawrence who met so many eccentrics you know was in the center of the beat generation yeah with sort of their voice in yeah. publishing them um that he <laughs> would say that George was the most eccentric I'm like thank you someone understands <laughs> <laughs> right Let, let's let's I mean it probably would have taken Lawrence a year at least to just sort everything out and then he would have been going back and, and come back you know a year later to find like to George, be tidying up over there George. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> he'd just be like ping-ponging <laughs> very wise once again from Lawrence um but but let's talk about you know you and George that is you know also a huge part of the bookshop's history and I don't know if people actually know this about you but you know, you were born in Paris and you did live here until you were six. Um, and then you spent time in um, England and Scotland, I believe, before coming back. Could you share with I've us, like, research. I don't know research, <laughs> I read a few articles. Um, and yeah, could you, could you maybe, because I've heard you kind of describe your return to Paris as like step by step. But then by the age of 23, you were, you know, with George's blessing, he'd kind of handed the reins over to you. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about how you came back to Paris and specifically the link with Shakespeare and Company, mm. please? Yeah, I came back just to speak get to know him because he was 88 at the time wow. and I realized that it was now or never and I'd finished my studies and like a lot of people um, turning up at the bookshop a lot of tumbleweeds 
didn't really know what my next step was and so this seemed like the right opportunity um and I've I was extremely shy Mm. and uh he I think was in his own way very shy Mm. but also very cantankerous and as I said eccentric and so he introduced me to everyone as Emily an actress from London (laughs) (laughs) because you were actually a tumbleweed you came back as a tumbleweed right I did and he gave you a pseudonym he did and I which without having any kind of actually in hindsight I think he was just trying to um, make it a little less intrusive and intense yeah because it was you know we were sharing this space here with so many other people I think there were 18 people sleeping here and and so actually I kind of now it was quite weird at the time but now I feel um that that was a kind thing that he did um but he so the only way to connect with him was to read and I actually I was not a big reader because I think I rejected um reading as I hadn't spent time with him I hadn't Mm. he was very much someone who you only existed if you were at the bookshop and so we had no contact and yeah that's hard yeah, oh. so I sort of rejected it. And also there was this presumption that I would have read, you know, all of Dickens by 10. And it, just, it, it was a bit... Um, yeah. It was a bit High tiresome. Yeah. <laughs> so I... So I... The only way really was I realized I had to read. Because then I could talk to him about the books. And then I could have a conversation with him. And so... And he... I, I really, looking back, I feel, wow, he was really ahead of his time. And mm. he would give me... Um, I actually, I'm moving in above the bookshop. And so I'm going oh. through all my books and all the books upstairs. And I came across this book, one of the first books that he gave me. And it's a book that you've, has actually just been brought back into print, I just saw, by the Feminist Press oh, last year. Great. It's called Daughter of Earth by Agnes Smedley. And um, I don't think it's very well known. And no. it's, a, it's a sort of autobiographical autobiography um, about, you know, what it was to grow up in America as a woman and the and as proletarian life mm. livelihood and um she was a she was really a fascinating person and a, a real political activist and mm. thinker and um true feminist she was also really interested in, in the Chinese cultural revolution she was okay. accused of being a spy um she talks very honestly about two marriages that Mm. uh, were very difficult and about um, the um, sort of contradictions uh, that in intellectual life um, on the East Coast about what was said but about the sort of double standards okay Um, and you know this is one so he he did really open up the world for me and yeah. he would just give me these things and mm. that and then lots of other things that you, lots of other books that are out of print today um and so that was my way in mm. and then what happened was I really realized what it was to read and how incredible it was and how it opens up your consciousness you know within yourself mm. towards the world towards mm. the other com- coming out of your skin going into the skin of someone else's yes. and also, as Rebecca Solnit said in her event here, showing how reading shows how leaky categories are and how you cannot say all women, all men, all Muslims. Oh. And so this was like a real opening yeah. for me and a sort of, I don't know, like a rebirth. And in this mm. way, I feel this real um, connection and understanding of what it is to come here as a tumbleweed and mm. to 
fall in love with a you know a space filled with books and with reading and and with Paris. Um, so you've had the you've had the tumbleweed experience, and then all of a sudden you were well not sorry all of a sudden you you but you then you were running the bookshop you how how was that like you you came back to Paris you found this relationship with your dad through literature you were tumbleweed I imagine that was pretty fun pretty crazy (laughs) uh you're probably writing my memoir one day (laughs) about it um but but when did you when was the moment where you were like well I also love I, I want to do this. Like I want to have a role in the bookshop. Well, it happened really organically to, mm. because, as I said, there was a real um, sense of discovery of books, and then what the bookshop represents, and all of that yeah. being intertwined with George. Yeah, I mean, he, you can't separate. You, just you can't, can't separate. separate. Like no. you said at the beginning, you as well. Like your mood, you know, in the bookshop are completely intertwined. Totally. And he often said, "I haven't written a novel, but every corner of this bookshop is a chapter of my unwritten novel." Yeah. And so beautiful. Yeah, and you really feel that spirit and his spirit here and yes. and his personality in each corner. Um so all those things came together and then honestly in my twenties I just sort of it, it just I just I was really preoccupied with dealing with this um space that I you know I had the police coming and saying we're going to shut you down because of this crazy stairs that you have they're like a ladder and I couldn't brush them off in the same way I mean maybe this Mm. this is a moment of what it is to be a young woman in this world compared to being an older man who was cantankerous and who would just shout yeah um I didn't have that personality I had a different way of interacting with people Mm. but it did mean that I I think I had to take people more se- I don't know I couldn't get rid of people in the same way that he could <laughs> um so I, I was uh, maybe I because I was young I was more sort of conscientious of mm. oh my god they're gonna close us down the ladder the ladder staircase yeah we need and to sort this death gonna, trap out yeah so I did have to take on things like that and mm. and when I but then I it was very complicated because I would do that to sort of you know in order to avoid being closed down and then I'd have my dad when I was at the London Book Fair come down at at night with a hammer undoing it shouting that I was trying to make everything look like Chicago which (laughs) I do not know what he okay what did he have we don't know what he had against Chicago we don't know okay okay but apparently everything looks the same as Chicago oh okay and apparently that's what you were trying to do that's yeah okay so there was that that was hard there was the Mm. fact that you know the I mean it was hard it was (laughs) it was hilarious um (laughs) but it was taking up all my time, um, right. and it was uh, and the, the carpet. The, the bookshop had a carpet throughout it, which was disgusting, and it was it was stuck down with old pancake batter. You know, the, the electricity was glued together with sellotape that that tumbleweeds had been doing. Um, I mean, it, it was like a fire hazard in every, everywhere you looked. So right. I had a lot of that to deal with. Also when he he did quite quickly hand over the accounts to me because I think that was part of the bookshop he didn't enjoy and February had 31 days and although I oh. was not <laughs> sure, I was no sure um yeah <laughs> mathematical genius but I but I did know how many days February had so that was quite <laughs> tricky um and then also gradually I was really I was looking after an older person and you know he, right. he died at 98 so I was fortunate to have 10 years but I did have to, you know, I had to look after him. Mm. Um, and 
I'm really glad that I had that time and that I was able to be there for him. And then I sort of, I suppose I thought more about what it is to run the bookshop and yeah. took a bit of a distance. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where kind of like the events came. I mean, you know, today how we know it is, you know, there's a poetry, you know, there's been a lot of expansion 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 in the in the bookshop you know there, there are more spots now where people can just sit with a book you know um if they want to not you know not just um in the library um there's a cafe next door uh you, i think the events was one of the first things that you started you know there's also a literary festival as well so just yeah, you you know you've brought it the website as well. Um, you know you you've done so much with your your life partner and your business partner David. Yeah, um, with the with a great team. I mean, I'm and fortunate yes. to have you know really passionate um, readers on the team and and people that really care about the bookshop. Mm. So, who who have had to learn how to do things other than be a bookseller oh yeah <laughs> everyone's yeah multitasking <laughs> right now <laughs> i imagine um so so that's incredible i was just gonna say the last time one of the last times i walked out of this bookshop i um had mary oliver's felicity oh, with me one of my favorite collections oh because i because i'm not um i do not go towards poetry at all it's something that i really have to make an effort with and i can appreciate the beauty of it but I've always felt like, but I don't, why can't I connect to this? Well, Mary Oliver is a way in. Yeah, totally. If and it's, yeah. it's just beautiful. And yeah. actually, a lot uh, there's a, a collection of books um, by William Steidhart, I think. It, it's called The Poetry Pharmacy, and he's got two volumes. And I, I I really want to invite him to come over and just sort of set up here. And the idea is, and he's the, he's done this at festivals but the the book is a kind of book form of this which is where it, he will sit there and people will come up to him and sort of say you know I'm feeling lonely or I just you know I just lost my mother mm. or, or or whatever it is that they're going through feeling, yeah. um, and he prescribes a poem and it's so beautiful I've given that book as a gift to so many people oh, and wow whether they're poetry lovers or not it really um seems to resonate with everyone it touches everyone yeah and it really just it's a way of showing that you um there are different moments in your life where you where reading can be a real remedy and um another Jeanette quote that we put up in the poetry (laughs) section um that you know fiction and poetry are doses medicines what they heal is the rupture that reality makes on the imagination yeah (laughs) so poetry poetry mary oliver her i've got a kind of complete collection that i have in my bed like her greatest hits how lovely Mm. um and actually talk so talking about tastes and and books that you love there's something that kay tempest writes in um in their new book on connection Mm. um which I, i tempest came and did an event She's. They've done two events at the bookshop, and both have been absolutely electric. Uh, and they talk about the, the what it is to gather the importance of gathering in a space together, mm. and how art can level the room. And it's such a little. It's, it's such a great 
essay this one on connection but in it what one of the points that that tempest makes that i really liked is um they talk about going to an event in a bookshop in america and serendipity which is something that i really feel is present in a bookshop coming across a book uh and they picked up the red book i think by carl jung Mm -hmm. and how much how important this book became for them and how um the specifically the the book talks about these two parts of ourselves the spirit of the times and the spirit of the depths so the spirit of the times is your um connection to everyday life Mm. and um the news and what's going on and the spirit of the depths is your connection with the with dreams and visions and the invisible world and how the two really need to be in balance right Um, and need to be nourished and like given the same care and attention exactly and i mean i love that idea but i also just love this idea that this book that um was picked up just like that serendipitously became so important yeah for for Kay so that's that's what else have you got like I mean lockdown you know I know that was a funny time some people found that they couldn't read um some people found that they were just reading so much they really appreciated the time and the space Uh, like how how was that for you the first lockdown I couldn't read at all Mm. I mean I did have two small children absolutely destroying the flat I was living in (laughs) during that period. So it was more of a like trying to save, you know, (laughs) crisis management. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good. And also, I think I I was, I really, I think I was part of the people who were just sort of feeling paralyzed by what was happening I also got COVID at the in the first lockdown so I I was also just you know out of it um (gasps) so yeah I got that out of the way um but so I didn't read then but then as soon as the lockdown finished Mm. there was just an insatiable need for it so like I said the Elif Shifak was was one of the first ones, the Zadie, Zadie Smith, actually, I think her oh. collection, Intimations, was the first one, actually, I read. And that was amazing, especially the essay in there called Suffering Like Mel Gibson, which is just talking about everyone's different types of suffering and how yeah. we're not all in the same boat. No, <laughs> no, no, like, no, 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 no. But, um, which we're but seeing ha- now with the vaccine as well, I think. Now. You know, I mean, it's, which is we, the, again, we know it's always been there. Yeah, but it really comes to the surface and she writes, yeah. obviously, beautifully about this right. and and also her final essay was such a, a powerful one of the making the connection between the virus and racism and how mm. in how you can be um racist and not even know it you know it's invisible yeah. sometimes exactly like it's that ingrained yeah and so yeah. that i thought that was such a brilliant <gasps> comparison um so that that was amazing also i to be uplifting, I I, mm. um, I read Humankind by Rudger Bregman. He's an author I really, oh. really, really admire um, who wrote Utopia for Realists before yeah. that one. And Humankind is taking on this sort of cynical view of we are all selfish. And he says there mm. is an evolutionary base to the fact that we are more likely to corporate, cooperate than not, more likely to trust than not trust. And that, but that unfortunately our political and economic system is based on the idea that we are selfish yeah. um, and he really goes through and proves and brings all this new scientific evidence that's coming out about you know um, arguing that we are in general kind good people mm. um, that want to trust rather than not and taking on like things like Lord of the Flies and how and and showing that there was a real 
case of Lord of the Flies in 1966, I think. Okay. Uh, these boys were stranded. And actually, it was the opposite story. They they collaborated. They Friendships for life. Oh, wow. Um, uh, also taking on that scientific um, experiment that was, you know, on based on prisons, guards and prisoners. Yeah. Um, and showing that actually it was really... Um, uh, directed and a lot okay. it wasn't just you know people acting naturally anyway yeah. so that was really I found that really uplifting um and then I I'm embarrassed to say I only just got into Yagaisi and I started with Transcendent Kingdom rather than Homegoing oh and I'm the other way around oh yeah well I've most done people that, homegoing. so I'll go yeah Homegoing yeah. yes um I incredible love incredible Homegoing. yes it, I, you know, one of those rare moments, a bit like with Rachel Cuss, I'm like, I'm going to read every single book by this person. You know? <laughs> yes, I know you are a a big Rachel Cusk. Yeah. Like you love her. I really her love her. I writing. mean, her book, A Life's Work, which, yeah. which brought her a lot of grief and uh, trouble at the time that it was published. Mm. And she was really attacked for... Mm. Um, being so honest, right? Uh, but for me, it's the best book on motherhood right. that's out there, right? Um, right. And I'm really grateful that she wrote it. And then, obviously, her trilogy, I find extraordinary. Yeah. Um, just how she, you know, how you can, how you learn so much about the narrator without just by hearing other people. So mm. it's, it's it's really and her, the sparsity of her language. I yeah, just, she's incredible. Um, so you love Transcendent Kingdom. Yeah, I went and I I I delved into that, and then now going into Homegoing. That's also, amazing. some old ones. I like you know we talked about the reading trends uh, before the lockdown. There was like everyone was buying Emily St. John Mandel, uh, oh, Station yes. Eleven, Camus. Um, the Plague, uh, Stephen King, The Stand, Margaret Atwood, Oxen Craig. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was there really was, pandemic oriented. Yeah, there was Severance as well. I feel like that came out. Yes. It was very, yeah, I felt like, yes, People, there was a huge appetite. I got Station Eleven myself. So, yeah. So you yeah. were one I of I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the lockdown, it was, uh, it was both more escapist mm. and more political. Ah. So, you know, obviously with Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. So, yeah. It was people were really engaging in black literature, both right. classic and contemporary, but also in anti-racist books. Yeah. Um, the the obvious one being why I no longer talk to white people about about race and Rennie and Edo Lodge. And so that was really fascinating to see that change. It was so dynamic, and mm. um, and then and then there was a lot of um people buying escapist literature so greek mythology circe madeline miller was not dropping off at all sally rooney love story oh you know. my gosh circe i heard you talking about that on a podcast in french so impressive circe oh my gosh oh my gosh That's my go-to recommendation it's, I think. yes I it is one it. of the ones that i would recommend i recommend a lot mm. and you know what i actually did a podcast episode on it with maddie who used to be a tumbleweed here oh, i think who's now in australia you? i didn't listen to that amazing. one <gasps> it was so amazing to talk to her about it and book club it was one of you know it, there are certain books yeah. that are just like electric electric and that was one of them fantastic and i think that is a really good place 
to end things because otherwise we will talk all day <laughs> and the podcast episode will be a live stream we should just live stream basically <laughs> um i do actually just have one quick question i am going to ask a question and i hope it doesn't make you groan do you have a favorite part of the bookshop a favorite spot like where where do you most feel at home um, it moves around. Yes. Yeah. No, I would, up until maybe a year ago, I would have said the antiquarian because oh. I, um, that's really something that the, uh, being around books and bookshop, mm. the bookshop gave me this real love of the physical aspect yeah. of the book the, and yeah. the interaction. The interaction and the, and the story around first editions and yeah. the beauty of the and covers and yeah. the designers. And, and where you've acquired it from. Where you've acquired it and what notes yeah. you might find. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's my <laughs> <laughs> And more. <laughs> I, I gave you one of my most boring notes. I, I, assure, you, I assure you they're more interesting than that. Um, but so the antiquarian and also, you know, it's it, it's quite an incredible, extraordinary room with mm. this window looking onto Notre Dame which is yeah. isn't quite herself these days mm. but is a, a beautiful um image to look at nevertheless yeah. um but now I think maybe the poetry room is yeah, I like yeah. I really like sitting in there because it's Lewis Busby I often quote him he wrote a beautiful book about bookshops called the yellow lighted bookshop and he talks about bookshops being a place where it's a charming combination of solitude and gathering. And I feel that very much in the poetry room because it's a little bit off course. So you're, it yeah. does, it's not, it doesn't tend to be crowded. Yeah. Um, there's comfortable chairs there. You're yeah. with it next to poetry. Yeah. Uh, but you can interact with people if you want. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. That's officially the perfect place to end. <laughs> Sylvia, thank you so much for your time. and Thank you, Louise. And no. thank you for everything you do. I've really loved delving into your podcast. Um, and I think it's a really wonderful sort of safe space that you've created for discussions. Oh, and um, And such a, you know, an eclectic, interesting um, mm. list of books that you choose. Mm. And I'm really impatient to welcome you guys back. We are ready and raring to go. <laughs> Thank you, Sylvia.